0: Welcome to episode 77 of the Jackson Hole Connection, brought to you by Jackson Hole Marketplace, Jackson Hole's little community market on the south side of town. Please visit the jacksonholeconnection.com/jhm to learn more. Hello from Jackson Hole. I'm Stephen Abrams, your host and guide today. Each week I sit with someone connected to Jackson Hole. To share their fascinating story about daily life. I feel we can all learn so much from each other and I intend to search out people and their stories which will teach us a little about life outside of our everyday circle. My guest today is Julia Heemstra, search and rescue volunteer and mountaineer extraordinaire when she's not filling her career role as the director of St. John's Health here in Jackson Hole. Julia will share with us much more about her life and what she does today to help others in our community and reaching across the globe to South Africa. We'll also learn from Julia how a traumatic life-changing event in 2012 taught her the importance of access to good mental health and having a network of loving friends. Julia's work here at home and her home of South Africa will certainly inspire you to discover how you can make a positive impact in today's world. Julia, it is fantastic to see you outside of Rotary and to have you here at the worldwide headquarters of the Jackson Hole Connection. Thank you for coming this afternoon.
1: Thank you for inviting me.
0: You're welcome. And you have a remarkable story. You do so much for our community, but also communities abroad as well. You were born in South Africa.
1: I was actually born here, but Ah. we moved to South Africa when I was really young. Okay. Yeah.
0: So you have a tight connection to South Africa. I'm
1: a dual citizen.
0: Oh, lucky you.
1: Jackson's (laughs) African-American.
0: One of the few. Yes. And you also work over at St. John's Health. You're the director of wellness. Yes, I am. And I remember you from many, many years ago. You were a runner extraordinaire, extreme mountaineer, and you're still get the calling to the mountains, I'm sure, many times.
1: Every once in a while these days. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Still happening out there.
0: Good. Well, let's start off with Director of Wellness. I mean, that's a big title, but there needs to be some definition there for Director of Wellness.
1: Well, and I think Director of Wellness has continued to evolve throughout my nine plus years at St. John's Medical Center, which is now St. John's Health, which is so exciting. But yes, we started as the Community Health Information Center, which was just in a small little room right inside the front doors of the hospital. And now I'm fortunate enough to have a staff of five full-time and four part-time and um, many contractors working for me. So um, we've grown, and it's been such an exciting journey to be on. I feel so fortunate. My staff, um, I always say they are rock stars and um they are the ones who are just making such a difference in people's lives
0: that's that's wonderful thank you for what you're doing and as the director of wellness let's talk about some of the things that you put together for the hospital and for our community because because we are a community hospital yeah which is different than if you're in a big city and you decide which hospital you want to go to because here we go to the hospital. (laughs) Absolutely.
1: (laughs) You're exactly right. Um, Well, so we run worksite wellness programs for all of the employees at um, St. John's Health, which is over 800 employees these days, and also for all the employees at the school district. And in addition to that, we have some smaller contracts with smaller businesses in the community. So we have around We say anywhere from 1,400 to 1,500 clients on any given day that we're working with. Um, And then in addition to that, we have a really robust wellness coaching program. We do free tobacco cessation. We run the inpatient healing touch program. My department is the department that partners with public health on the community health needs assessment that comes out every three years. Um, I also oversee all of the community navigation services for the Affordable Care Act. And so that is very, very prominent during open enrollment, but actually continues to be something that we do throughout the year for special enrollment periods. And then in addition to that, we have other smaller programs like the Healthy U Chronic Disease Self-Management Program that we run as well.
0: Cool. Talk about a huge client list. It, give me that number again.
1: Yeah, it's close to 1,500 okay. on any given day. And
0: our town, the population is maybe 7,000 with the county about 20 is what I hear yeah. sometimes. Are those the same stats that you Absolutely. have? Absolutely.
1: Yeah, so it's incredible the number of people that we're touching with our programs every mm-hmm. single day. And hopefully touching. You know, like Again, our programs are voluntary for people to choose to participate in if their employer actually contracts with us. Um, but we like to really track how so often one program will appeal to one person and then another program that we roll out a few months later appeals to a different person so hopefully over time we're reaching most of those people within those client populations
0: thank you for doing what you're doing for our community and in the pre-show we were talking about a speaker that you guys are bringing to to the town And it's about the relationship between nutrition and mental health.
1: Absolutely. So we're bringing a nutritional psychiatrist, Dr. Drew Ramsey, to town. Um, He sold out in two days, which was incredible. Um, And I think that really speaks to the community's, no pun intended, appetite for this topic. (laughs) Um, But so what Dr. Ramsey has focused his research on is really how our food choices affect our mental health. And he um, wears two very different hats. He is a clinical psychiatrist, Columbia-trained clinical psychiatrist um, who works in New York City and then is a part-time farmer Hmm. and um, has a farm in Indiana and so kind of travels back and forth between New York City and Indiana and also loves Jackson. And um, Who doesn't? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And so um, he'll be really talking about how – from what he's seen with his own patient population and sort of what the big studies are saying, how really making the choices that work well for our health can really enhance our mental health as well.
0: Okay. And we also talked a little bit about mental health. Mm-hmm. And we also talked about physical health as well, just a, a little bit in the beginning. And I'd said that, you know, just because somebody is looks overweight doesn't mean that they're inactive they're lazy, there's always some other, there could be something else going on in their life or in their body. And then you mentioned that just because somebody looks all put together normal and happy, that doesn't mean that there's not something happening there.
1: Exactly. You know, um, as you probably remember from the community health needs assessment that we published in 2018, mental health is our prioritized health need in this community. And so that came from quantitative and qualitative data. So that came from quantitative data that we pulled from federal and state Sources And then also a qualitative survey where we surveyed over a thousand community members about what they thought were the prioritized health needs in this community and mental health came out on top. So um, it's something that I am really passionate about reducing the stigma about in this community. I think it's still really, really hard. I was just talking to someone today about this um, to seek mental health help when you need it. Um, Whereas we don't hesitate to go seek help when potentially we might be diagnosed with a disease like diabetes. And so, um, again, I think it's something that as a community we really need to turn into. And that's why with the Wellness Center, we're really committed to raising awareness around mental health issues and also the resources that exist in this community. Mm -hmm.
0: And we have people that listen from all ends of the United States. And we get a few international listeners, Mm -hmm. too. On the big picture, what is the status of mental health? And you mentioned remove the stigmatism. Is that the same in our community as it is elsewhere in other communities?
1: Well, as someone who's lived primarily in Jackson for the last 15 years, um, I can speak to some of the stigmas, I think, that exist within this community. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that they also do come into play in other communities. Ironically, the other community that I've spent most of my time in when I'm not here is my home community in Africa. And I think mental health very much plays a role there, but there are different issues that are really sort of the crux issues for mental health um, that we can kind of dive into. It's honestly more survival issues in um, my home community in Africa where many people are diagnosed with HIV. There's no access to clean water for a lot of people. Um, Here, there are other just as important issues. And I think one of the barriers here in Jackson to saying that you need mental health support is that people like to live under the facade that we live in this incredible mountain community and how could anyone be unhappy in such a gorgeous setting? But um, the reality is that life here can be really hard too. It's hard in a different way than it is in my hometown in Africa. Um, but it still sort of that sort of continual erosion of stress can really lead to true mental health issues that people deal with. Not to mention the fact that we have a really long winter, um, that many of us are low in vitamin D at this time of year, and that's real. Um, And all of those different things can have an effect on our our mental health.
0: Who knew that there was such a big issue for mental health here in in our community? And when you compare it to what you experience at your hometown in, in South Africa, it's real on both fronts.
1: It really is and I think so often when I come back from South Africa I'm so struck by that because it is a different world that I exist in there I spend a lot of my time when I'm at home as much as I possibly can working up in the shanty towns where I used to work and um, life is could not be more different in some ways than it is here but the reality is that people are stressed there and people are stressed here for different reasons and Regardless, stress has an impact on your health, and it certainly has a long-term impact on your mental health. And so if you're not receiving any kind of assistance in reducing that stress, whether that's using your own techniques or whether that's talking to a therapist, that really can lead to bigger issues over time.
0: And when you say that stress has long-term impacts, that if, if it's not released or addressed, What are some of those long-term impacts?
1: Well, I think, it. um, and again, I want to be very clear. um, While I have a background in social work, Mm -hmm. I'm not a licensed clinical social worker or or a counselor. But this is stuff that we deal with every single day with our 1,500 clients here. Um, And I think the big question is how the stress manifests. And particularly, I would say there is sort of a surprising correlation between my two hometowns. One being Grahamstown in the Eastern Cape in South Africa, and Jackson being my other one, in that um, trauma plays out in both of those places. And I think that while we might deal with day to day stress here, we also have the added layer in this community of a significant amount of trauma. And as someone who's a tremendous believer in receiving assistance when you go through something that's traumatic, I think that, you know, hopefully as a community, we would start to be more open to speaking about the traumas and speaking about the sort of essential nature of receiving assistance for that trauma. I think we've also gotten a lot better. South Africa has its own unique history of trauma.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, South Africa has a beautiful history, an amazing history, which has created a lot of trauma.
1: Absolutely. Yes. I always have said that I think what I found as the sort of powerful connection between my two hometowns Mm -hmm. is that both places are places of extremes. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's why once I came to Jackson, I was like, oh, this can be my other home. Because I there was that resonance resonance um, of extreme that exists in this community that really reminded me of home.
0: And you have experienced a life changing moment. And if I had experienced the same thing, I would think that that was a trauma event.
1: Oh, very much so.
0: Um, what was that? <laughs>
1: um, I, um, My partner of five years, who we had been going through a tough time, died in an avalanche during that time period, and um, unexpectedly. And yeah, I would say my life was, um, my life before March 7th, 2012, and my life, after March 7th 2012 many people in this community knew him well he was a prominent figure um, Steve Romeo Mm -hmm. and um, we're still even last night we had a meeting about um, work that we're going to be doing to kind of reinvigorate his website again which was huge force as you probably remember in those early years I mean on certain days he would have upwards of 10,000 visitors on his site so um, and this was, of course, before social media. So that was pretty much all we had back then. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we're still doing a lot of work with his fund. Um, and his fund has done incredible things um, since his passing. We pay for the avalanche education for the entire high school senior class every year. No
0: kidding. Yeah.
1: So that's um, integrated into the classrooms. And then we do a field day on the park with those students. And it's great because I've had students, I try as often as I can to volunteer that day for the field day. And I've had students in my class who literally have just skied the sliver, which is one of like the classic hallmark ski descents in the park like the previous week and then I've had students who have literally never been to the park before and they've grown up here in Jackson. Hmm. So um, just amazing to do that work. We've also done a lot of work around bringing great speakers to the community to talk about avalanche safety and you probably remember Steve was the MC at the annual avalanche awareness night. Mm-hmm. So we help to sponsor that speaker every year and um, have helped to sponsor various other initiatives with Uh, Teton County Search and Rescue in the community.
0: Spectacular. And the name of Steve's foundation? Well,
1: it's the Steve Romeo Memorial Fund. It's based out of the Community Foundation of Jackson Hole, so people can always donate there. And they can also learn about Steve. He'd probably love this if he went to Teton AT. And um, that was Steve's blog that was a huge force in his life during those final years.
0: That's spectacular. Thank you for sharing that event that you had to live through and um, move on with, uh, because life does need to move on.
1: I think that that event more so than other events, and life had not been easy before then, Mm -hmm. uh, but it really deepened me as an individual, and it's enabled me to connect with people who have also experienced trauma in a way that I wouldn't have been able to otherwise. It's almost like you start to speak a different language. Mm And I think that it has actually really empowered me in my job because already today I've talked to two of our clients about the trauma in their own lives. And I think knowing a little bit about the trauma that I've been through almost makes it easier for people to come to me and talk about trauma in their lives and and also really wanting to move through it. And um, I did therapy for many years after Steve died. Um, I also have had some very close calls in the mountains myself since Steve's death that have prompted me to do things like EMDR, um, which is the rapid eye movement desensitization. Um, And so I'm a huge proponent of understanding that we need to work through these different um, unexpected situations in life, um, in order to come out on the other side. And I actually believe that I have come out on the other side. So it's nice to to be able to say that through doing the hard work, you really can almost get to a better place than, than you imagined possible.
0: And like you said, it's the hard work.
1: It's really hard work. Mm-hmm. And it takes a long time, mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot longer than I anticipated. Um, for my experience with grief was perhaps one of the hardest experiences to predict and that was very very challenging for me in the sense that you don't know when it's going to hit you don't know what's going to trigger it and you certainly don't know how you're going to react and as someone who's always been someone who's set goals and accomplished them and set another goal and accomplished another goal um, grief is not anything like that and so and you just are kind of subject to it Mm -hmm. for, um, however long it takes.
0: And yeah. And, and I feel that you're, you are the right person to be doing what you do because your disposition and personality and comfort and warmth that you offer, I'm sure, um, adds to the success of the department that you are heading up and help lead people in the right place where they need to be.
1: I think my own path has enabled me to see that the only way I can lead is actually get at the back of the line and let people lead themselves. Mm -hmm. And that's very much the approach that we take in the wellness department. We, from moment one, have always chosen to not adopt any of the more standard approaches for wellness, but rather to enable people to feel empowered to take the steps that they want to take to change their own lives and to not in any way predict what those steps might be and to really be the wind in their sails, but they're the ones figuring out what direction their boat is going in.
0: Very strong statement. Um, you have shared a lot in this very short I period know. of time. <laughs> Thank you for being yeah. so open. I know I've had conversations with other parents. Now I have a you know two boys, and mm-hmm. raising kids in this town is quite unique because I feel as though when kids kids get to the high school age, there's something that they experience that I don't feel a lot of kids experience elsewhere mm-hmm. in the in the U.S., and that is death. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems as though every year there is somebody in the high school group or high school age, the community, that there's an unfortunate, untimely death And a young person is taken from us far before they have lived their full life. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure if other communities experience that and can be tough on kids. It can can be tough tough on on everyone. Mm -hmm.
1: As someone who has been on the front lines of death, and I've also, I've been a first responder to another fatality in the Tetons as well. And, uh, or not a first responder, but I was called in on to respond, I guess, um, would be a more accurate way to put it. And I work at a place that welcomes new life into the world and also escorts people into what happens after life. Mm -hmm. So very aware of the cycle of life and death. And I think this community has made me even more so. But I really believe that it's only through turning into what's so hard about death that we can kind of break through that and, and really live life on the other side. Um, and I think a lot of times people, the pain is almost paralyzing and they don't necessarily manage to push through the pain to get to the other side. And I, I've just been noting in my own life how passionate I am about life right now, having been through all of these different traumas that are so focused on death. Like it, it can almost have that effect where you end up even being more passionate about the opportunities we have in life to make a difference to engage with others
0: Yes life is um, offers so much to us mm-hmm. and I and I hope that everybody can can enjoy as much of it to the fullest that they allow themselves to do it mm-hmm. yeah and we do have to allow ourselves to do that. I'll be right back with Julia after this quick message from the show's sponsor. Jackson Hole Marketplace, a little shop south of town with a huge heart. The right place in Jackson Hole to stop for a hot breakfast and coffee or affordable lunch and beverage. Serving house-made food prepared fresh during the week. Looking for a special Jackson Hole gift to send someone in town or through the mail? Jackson Hole Marketplace creates custom gift packages ready to ship or deliver. Learn more today at the thejacksonholeconnection.com slash I want to move on to a more happy Perfect. and exciting topic, and that would be through Rotary and through your own hard work, mm-hmm. the work that you have been doing in Grahamstown, South yeah. Africa, um, mainly with the water filter. So, um, so your family moved to Grahamstown when you were how old?
1: When I was four, we had actually moved a couple months after I was born. We moved to Australia for three and a half years, came back here briefly, and then moved to um, South Africa. My dad was a research ichthyologist. He wrote books about marine fish, and so we, as a family, had been traveling around for his work to... Put him in locations that would work for that. And um, once we got to Africa, he stayed in Africa um, until he passed just last August. So he was there um, over 40 years. Yeah.
0: Sorry to hear of your loss of of your father.
1: You know, he um, his passing was what he had a long term neurodegenerative disease that was related to some of, um, we thought, the chemicals that he had been exposed to as a ichthyologist. But I started going back on a regular basis to spend time with him in those final years. And that was what really was the catalyst for me to start doing this work. So it was this gift that came out of his final years of his life that I was enabled to start to um, reconnect with my home country and really make a difference with the water filters.
0: So. Share with us these water filters, and why are they so important to the areas that you are placing these water filters?
1: Well, the amazing thing was um, I was super passionate about water. Water was always an issue when I was growing up there, and in fact, when I started realizing that I was going to be traveling back and forth to South Africa quite a bit, um, I knew that I wanted to get involved with a project again that would really make a difference. Um, I had previously worked in the shanty town, both when I was in college and after college. And then after high school, I had taken a year off and started a little preschool in a very rural part of South Africa and had taught Zulu children English in an effort to enable them to enter the newly desegregated schools in South Africa. So I had done quite a bit of work um, already in South Africa and had really been missing having that connection with what I, in many ways, still consider to be my home country. And so the water situation had actually gotten worse in South Africa. And I, um, during that time, became aware of a nonprofit organization out of California called Waves for Water that was started by a bunch of surfers. And was implementing these water filters that filter out um, 99.99999% of all biocontaminants. So that's like cholera, salmonella, giardia, um, all the major biocontaminants, E. coli. So on my first trip back to South Africa, there wasn't a tremendous interest in the filters. But amazingly enough, the week before I went back for my second trip, and I ended up doing multiple trips over these years, um, the municipal water source the reservoir was contaminated with e coli so that would be like if we turned on our sinks or our faucets um, that would be the water coming out of our faucets would be contaminated with e coli and so yeah all of the water was contaminated and so i went back that time with i had seven filters left from my original 10 and literally what was so serendipitous about that is mail is very hard to get from the US to South Africa. So if I had mailed those filters, it would have taken anywhere from four weeks to three months. But instead I had a plane ticket and I was on a ticket or I was on a plane the next week with these water filters and I implemented them at local schools and at a clinic and managed to create access to clean water for I think on that trip it was around 700 individuals and then Rotary jumped in Rotary just asked me to come talk about the work I was doing I have a close colleague at the hospital who just stopped by my office she's like what's this work that you were just doing in Africa and so I told her about it and she said you've got to come talk to Rotary and she said um you know bring a proposal for what you intend to continue to do And on my first trip, I had implemented three water filters at a high school with 900 students. And the principal had been so moved by the fact that she was going to be able to keep her school open because she now could create access to clean water for the students, and she was going to have to close it if she couldn't do that. She had teared up, and I remember in the parking lot saying to her, Nikki, no matter what, I'm going to bring you back a filter for every classroom. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to make it happen. And so I put together a proposal for Rotary basically just trying to fund a filter for each one of these classrooms, 900 students, and did this presentation for Rotary. And literally I had people coming up to me afterwards with their checkbook saying, I want to write you a check. How do I just fund this whole thing? And I actually didn't even know how I was going to – like <laughs> who to write, have the check right now to. So I was like, can I just get back to you about who to write that check to? So – Went and talked to my close colleague, John Gettler, who runs the Hospital Foundation. I was like, John, this is what happened. What do I do? And he was like, we'll be your fiscal agent. So Hospital Foundation signed up. And I ended up going back to South Africa again and created access to clean water for over 2,500 people on that trip. And Rotary had written me for $2,500. And it was pretty cool to be able to say for less than a dollar per uh, Person, I was able to create access to clean water, and that was implementing primarily at not just schools but also orphanages. Also went back to the um, outpatient clinic and gave them a few more filters. And then Rotary and I kind of signed up for a much bigger project, which it has been incredible to work with Rotary on. I always feel like hmm. Rotary is the most underlooked or uh, sort of overlooked um, group of heroes in this community, and and heroines because they do such incredible work and not everyone knows about it. But we just raised $133,000 to redo the entire plumbing system at the neighboring high school in the Shantytown. Also 900 students, also another school that was going to have to close down. And so we're redoing the entire water systems in a fashion that it will be able to continue to um serve that school for many decades to come good work congratulations um and then i also just want to add one more quick thing about rotary um in amongst everything after the first uh or the second trip when i had brought a filter for each classroom at that first high school Mm -hmm. i got a text in the middle of the night from the principal and she just said i really just want you to tell your rotary club that they've made such a difference like Again, I would have had to close my school down because we didn't have access to clean water, but because of what they had done with having a filter in each classroom, we kept the school open. So I texted her back. I was like, well, what's going on? Like, what's the new situation? They had run out of water at the school at that point. And so literally, you probably remember this, over a lunch, we raised $7,500. And within 10 days working with the local Grahamstown Rotary Club, we implemented water tanks at the school, had them filled, um, also um, figured out how to correct some of the plumbing issues and kept that school open as well. And I mean, Rotary did that over a Tuesday lunch. Pretty amazing.
0: You can get a lot of stuff done over a lunch on Tuesdays. Can't Apparently
1: you? so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah,
0: and the kids who are getting water at these schools—is that the only access in their um, communities that they have to clean
1: water? For many of them, it is. It's the only time that they're drinking clean water, and most likely when they're at home, they're drinking contaminated water. I mean. For a lot of these kids, they're living with chronic diarrhea, um, Mm. chronic stomach issues. Some of them have managed to, you know, our GI systems are incredible. And so when you've been exposed to a lot of different contaminants in the water, sometimes people can just drink the contaminated water and not get chronically sick. But the nice thing is that while they're at school, we know they have clean water.
0: Mm -hmm. And do they take water home with them? Can they do that?
1: Um, I don't know if the schools have set up for that. That's kind okay. of... Honestly, there's so many issues. Like, how do yeah. we get water to... Kids when they're at home. How do we get water to their parents? How do we get water to their babies who aren't even, like, in school yet? Mm-hmm. So, so many issues still left to be addressed.
0: And I just had Jack from Pal Water yeah. on here a few uh, episodes previously. And that's he's, his mission is to provide clean water to people, and yeah. he's working um, in some African countries and I think some place in Malaysia as well, if, if I recall correctly. And um, he had a life changing event that had him think about why, what am I doing in life, and how can I make a change and. You are making a change in a lot of people's lives because it's not just the 2,500 people who now have clean water, or the, you know, probably um, even more than that. It just exponentializes. So, congratulations, Julia. Good work.
1: Well, I really credit Rotary with it. I feel like I just happen to be a fortuitous bridge between the two communities and also being super passionate about making a difference there. And I would say, too, you know, this is always what. I go back to whether it's like working in wellness at the hospital, whether it's doing humanitarian work in South Africa, the gifts that we get from giving are so much greater than anything we ever give. Mm -hmm. You know, (laughs) like um, for me, just knowing this work is going on in South Africa every single day. It, um, it truly is a daily gift. I think about it every single day. Like, I'm like, I wonder what's happening today. I wonder what's happening, you know, what's going to happen tomorrow. Cause like, I feel so connected to the, on the ground work that's going on there.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's a testament to who you are for John, who's Gettler, who's the ED of the uh, St. John's um, Foundation there, for him to say, yep, we got it covered. We got you.
1: Be- <laughs> John's awesome. He is awesome.
0: He's a remarkable guy, and he's been fantastic addition to our community over the past mm-hmm. years that he and his family moved here. And him being the executive director of that the hospital foundation there but it it says something about you that he said yep got it no problem versus say mm, let's talk about this and let's get this figured out and <laughs> it says a lot about you and, and now you're a rotarian you're and part now that became a rotarian. presentation and then they're like well hey let's have Julia exactly
1: which i just love because um i had presented to rotary so many times over the years and i also think that it's really amazing how You can live in a single community for an extended period of time, interacting with different individuals or different groups and not fully comprehending the impact that this group is having. And what I love about the Jackson Rotary Club is that we, or Rotary Club of Jackson Hall, (laughs) is that we make a huge difference here, but we're having these tremendous impacts all over the world. Um, And to see the fact that my fellow Rotarians were able to raise the 133,000 really in a very brief period of time. Um, speaks to the credibility of the club too, I think.
0: Oh, certainly. Certainly. Yeah. So for the listeners who are tuning in at this moment in time and wherever you are, if you're looking to make a change and say, Hey, I want to make a difference. Look up a local Rotary club and mm-hmm. search them out. And you will find some of the most down to earth and hardworking working People who want to make a difference in their communities, but also globally. Mm-hmm. And that's what Rotary Club International is about as well. So it's Rotary's International, and people, it, it just starts with one small act and saying, knock on the door and say, I want to join.
1: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It was funny because I remember when people first started talking to me about becoming a Rotarian, um, one of the things that really resonated for me was service above self. And I think that was what kind of tipped the scales for me when it came to uh, deciding to become a Rotarian because I was like, service above self is what I'm about. I've just never put it in those terms.
0: I have my Rotary coin right here. And I see the service above self there. And the four way test is it the truth? Is it fair to all concerned? Will it build goodwill and better friendships? And finally, will it be beneficial to all concerned?
1: Exactly. And
0: I would say that you are certainly doing that, Julia.
1: Trying. I think, too, what's great about um, Rotary is that we are a diverse group. Mm -hmm. I, I love that there are so many of us who are sort of the younger generation who are joining and are fully committed to service above self and that we can connect on these really, really amazing projects with people who are an entire generation older than us who might see things very differently from us, but we're coming together around this idea of, like, what's the difference we can make in the world?
0: Yes. And I want to go back to you being at St. John's Health Mm -hmm. um, as the director of wellness. And how can people, if they're not sure that they, how to reach out to you or that organization, how can they do that?
1: Well, they can definitely just call the hospital or come uh-huh. on into our office. We are located just to the left right when you come in the main entrance of the hospital, which I just love that the wellness center is the first thing you see when you walk in to the hospital. And that was a very deliberate design. Um, and we're just about to launch a lifestyle medicine program literally next week. Um, which is really the fastest-growing field of medicine and really looking at how we all can be empowered to make our own changes towards greater health um, In ways that are free or very very low cost by just changing things like What we eat how we exercise how we sleep what I also love about lifestyle medicine is there's six different pillars Um And the next two are relationships, purpose, and really with purpose, like looking at stress management, and then reducing use of toxic substances. So it is this very holistic approach to health. And it's also a full patient empowerment approach to health. It's really about the individual or the patient or the client taking back their own power to influence their own health and make those decisions.
0: And when you say you're going to launch a new program, what does that really mean?
1: Well, we've already, for the most part, been providing these services. And so we've been doing this for a couple of years kind of in a more ad hoc fashion. Mm -hmm. And so now we're putting all of these different services under the umbrella of the Lifestyle Medicine Program. Um, What's amazing is that we've been seeing patients not only preventing and treating disease, but we've actually had some patients reversing their disease no kidding so we've had type 2 diabetics who have dropped from like a 12.5 a1c which is over double the diagnostic threshold for diabetes down to a 5.7 6.1 is the diagnostic threshold so um, we've also had other clients that we're working with reduce their need for antidepressants for blood pressure medications for anxiety medications so that's kind of the way for the future. That's where we want to go to really work with people to ignite the fire to pursue their own health.
0: I love it. Yeah. It's, all, yeah. it's so
1: exciting about it is that, you know, so much of my work has always been in prevention, but now mm-hmm. it's truly about disease reversal as mm-hmm. well. And that's the stuff that is just cutting edge and so exciting to say to someone, you know what? You don't have to live with this chronic condition for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. You can actually truly reverse it. And you can see that within a not so, like, you can see that within a a shorter period of time than you might expect.
0: Do you see that when people come to you that they're ready to own the responsibility of taking action?
1: You know, we've come to a point where unless someone really is at that point where they are ready to change, Mm -hmm. we've realized it doesn't serve them or serve us well to work Mm -hmm. um, in a very close um, partnership. So we'll help people to identify where they are on the readiness to change spectrum. And if they're not quite there yet, we're like, we're here. When you're actually ready to change, come on back. We wanna work with you. But we realize that if someone's not actually ready to change, it's just gonna be spinning wheels for them and spinning wheels for us, and we don't want anyone to do that. So we're really, really committed to helping people move Along the spectrum of readiness to change, but also to really like be that catalyst when the time is right to help kind of launch them into this whole new life that can exist for them.
0: Is there a linear? you know, steps that people take that show that they are following that spectrum to change? Absolutely. Ready to, to change? Yeah.
1: And so all of the wellness coaches who work in my department are nationally certified wellness coaches, which means that they went through a program mm-hmm. that's credentialed by the national credentialing body, and then they sat for the national exam and passed it. And so... They all have gone through extensive training on helping people to identify not just where they are in regards to readiness to change, but also what would be the next steps that they'd want to start changing Hmm. as they move forward.
0: So you mentioned lifestyle medicine program, that there's six pillars Mm -hmm. and it was eat, exercise, sleep. Purpose, yep. relationships, and which one did I miss?
1: And reducing the use of toxic substances.
0: Red- reducing the use of toxic substances. And then along the line of readiness to change mm-hmm. spectrum, can somebody Google that so they can see?
1: Absolutely. Yes. Very okay. much so. They can just Google readiness to change.
0: Okay. Yeah. And are there different, how many steps are, are that process?
1: Um, I can't remember exactly right now. Okay. Yeah. That's but why they, they can definitely... call and talk to one of my wellness coaches, and they will be able to. I yeah, I would. Um, I, I'm concerned I might not say the right answer.
0: No, I get it. You have so much going on, and that's why there's you know coaches to help along, which yeah. I'm sure you're, you're a certified wellness coach as well. No,
1: no. and you know what's okay. crazy right. is that. Um, when we started the Wellness Coaching Program, I was like, "Ah, oh, this program is so fantastic. I wish I could enroll in it because I see how it benefits anyone and everyone. Like whether you have these small changes that you want to make in your life or whether you literally want to reverse comorbidities. So not just diabetes, but maybe you have a heart condition. And we have all of these different specialists that we refer out to as well. But I'm such a believer in their approach. And then interestingly, as I've had more and more of my staff go through the coaching program, sit for the national exam, I've just been so struck by how this has impacted their lives. Um, but I've also had to really identify that My role within the department is to be the director. Mm -hmm. And um, as much as I want to engage with all of my programs, I can't necessarily get certified in everything that all of my staff is getting certified in. Um, But I think it's a good litmus test because truthfully, I'm not much of a joiner despite having joined Rotary, which that says a lot about Rotary. <laughs> um, I'm also a tremendous skeptic. And so I feel like if there is a program that I myself would want to enroll in and participate in, that's something that I feel confident rolling out to our 1,500 people or to a smaller subset of our client population. And I think our staff as a whole within the Wellness Center, our full-timers, our part-timers, which is a significant number of people now, generally we kind of use the rule of thumb. If we wouldn't want to do this, and if there's any reason why we wouldn't do this, then we need to not roll this program out and we need mm-hmm. to make changes until it's something that we would all want to participate in.
0: That's great. And and wonderful um, description of your leadership because you recognize that you can make a better impact, a greater impact by being, overseeing everything and helping guide and direct people for where they need for their skills and, them taking the wellness um, certification and then you probably working on other programs and other aspects of what the services are offered through your through your area as well.
1: Yeah, we've done a tremendous mm-hmm. amount of work as a team. I always feel very strongly that we have to walk our talk in the wellness department. And the um, in work environment for me is critically important that we're actually creating a well environment amongst our staff. And... I feel so fortunate right now because my team is so solid and I think part of the way we've gotten to that place is we've done a lot of work together figuring out what our different strengths are and how we can best utilize each other's strengths to advance the common goal. And so we actually did the Gallup Strengths Finder, and we've done it multiple times together. And even when we bring another full time employee on, we do it again together to really identify okay, so this is this person's strength. This is that person's strength. And so we need to utilize all of those strengths and then get out of each other's way mm-hmm. so that we can move forward together.
0: I've done the Strengths Finder as well. I don't recall what my main role was, but. I do remember my Colby. I'm a 4574.
1: Oh, that's awesome. I don't know that one. (laughs) Um, I think for me in the wellness department, um, I have strategic and futuristic as two of my primary strengths. Mm -hmm. Um, Sort of strategic thinking, like seeing kind of where we're going. And the futuristic is like a blessing and a curse, but it's always having the vision and trying to move towards the vision. And that can kind of propel you out of the present, which is kind of the challenge. But... I am constantly like, where are we going? What's next? How are we better meeting the needs of the people we're serving?
0: Yeah, so true, so true. And if people don't live here and don't have access to a, a phenomenal um, hospital like what we have, such as St. John's Health, what what should they Google to get some information about maybe a wellness program in their community?
1: Yeah, they could definitely just Google wellness programs. There are, oh my goodness, so many different renditions of wellness programs and the Mm -hmm. first thing i would say is to be really careful about what you're reading Mm. and also the different programs that you might be um, interested in you know kind of pursuing partly because there isn't a wide credentialing body across the nation when it comes to wellness and here Mm -hmm. in wyoming we see this a lot too because To be a wellness coach, you don't necessarily need to have done any of the rigorous wellness coaching training programs that my coaches have done, nor do you have to sit for the national exam. And so people can do a two-week program online and just say, I'm a wellness coach Mm. or I'm a life coach. And we've been very clear with our mission at the hospital that first and foremost we have people with clinical backgrounds who are going through these programs. So they're bringing that background or even like – a, you know, more of a sociology background. Um, but then they also have to meet these rigorous standards, which is what makes sense for us as a hospital.
0: Yeah. And for people that do have access to St. John's health and want to get more information about the wellness is, are the services that you guys provide free or is there a charge?
1: Some of them are free uh-huh. and some of them are a low cost. And we, are very committed in the wellness department and particularly with the lifestyle medicine program as we roll it out, no one's going to be turned away because of their inability to pay. If someone truly wants to change their life, we Mm -hmm. want to be there to support them and assist them with that. So Mm -hmm. we have some, very generous donors who donate to the foundation and we have some donor funds that we can access for people who can't pay. Mm -hmm. Um, But we also are pricing it at a very affordable price and it will be a monthly subscription. So in the same fashion that someone pays for a gym membership every single month, they'll pay for a membership in the Lifestyle Medicine Program Mm. that will buy them access to wellness coaching, to consultations with um, RDs, with physical therapists, with some of our other specialists as well. Awesome. Yeah,
0: And what's the number to the hospital?
1: Well, the number to the hospital is 733-3636. Number to the wellness center, though, is 739-7399.
0: 739-7399.
1: And people can also check out. We're going to update our website in the near future um, as soon as we launch the program. So they can just check out what our offerings are on the TetonHospital.org website, which is about to shift to St. John's Health.
0: Oh, cool. Yeah. That's that's great. Yeah, Yeah, they need a new URL. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Julia, any last words of wisdom that you would like to share with everybody today?
1: Well, I think think sometimes people think that my different projects, be it my life here in Jackson with St. John's Health and then my work in Africa is really disjointed. But I always like to remind people that clean water is the first step towards health. And if you don't have access to clean water... You literally cannot stay healthy. It's just impossible. Um, And so for me, having these projects in Africa that really, I think, are addressing the most fundamental step towards health um, are such a fabulous balance for what we're doing here in Jackson where we're also looking at the far end of the spectrum, for how do we actually reverse diseases that people thought they were going to have to live with for the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. So it really is the full spectrum of health from my perspective.
0: Yeah, well said. Clean water is the first step to good health. I I think we here in the U.S. take for granted just turning on the tap and having something Mm -hmm. to come out that you most likely can drink. Exactly. Julia, this has been so informative and moving as well, you sharing. Thank you for sharing your life-changing moment yeah. um, that happened a number of years ago. And we'll get some people over to Steve's website and yes. over to the wellness website as well. Great. I want to end it on a very high note. Mm-hmm. When we were talking before, you were listening to something that said about dates. <laughs> 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 so what are the two things... That were was this a podcast.
1: This was a podcast. I was telling Stefan, I love podcasts. I'm a total podcast nerd and I listen to all kinds of podcasts, but I was listening to this one podcast where essentially what they were saying is there are two ways to decide if you ever want to go on a second date with someone. And the two ways were first, will they pay five dollars for really good guacamole? Like made from real delicious <laughs> avocados that aren't overripe or underripe? And second of all, do they listen to podcasts? And if they don't listen to podcasts, you don't want to go on a second date. Just saying. Okay. Maybe there'd be some wiggle room on the guacamole, but not on the podcast.
0: I think with my wife, I'd get her with the guacamole, but the podcast, she doesn't listen to podcasts.
1: She doesn't listen to podcasts yet. Yet. <laughs>
0: That's right. She, she'll she probably never, she'll hear this in a few years. <laughs> Unless somebody shares it with her. Yeah. yeah. Julia, thank you. Have a great day. And Absolutely. Keep doing wonderful work, not just here in Jackson, but globally and in South Africa. Thank, thank you, you so much for inviting me. You bet.
1: Awesome.
0: To learn more about Julia and her work, please visit thejacksonholeconnection.com, episode number 77. I do request today you please share this episode with some friends, family, coworkers, or somebody on the street. I could not create this podcast without the support of my wife, Laura, my wonderful boys, William and Lewis, my editor, Michael Morey, musical director, Luke Taylor, and marketing guru, Hannah Hoffman. I sure hope you've enjoyed this episode, and I look forward to seeing you back for the next episode of The Jackson Hole Connection.